I'm Will Coleman, founder and CEO of Alto, and I built Alto to put an end to rideshare horror stories. You're used to the total lack of consistency in rideshare. Maybe it's a smelly car or a driver that asks just one too many personal questions. Not anymore. With Alto, you know exactly what to expect every ride. Every Alto driver is a trained Alto employee, and every Alto vehicle is part of our private fleet of luxury SUVs. Say goodbye to rideshare horror stories. Download the Alto app today and use code FOUNDER for $10 off your first ride. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express, part of the Blog Talk Radio network. Your host on the Coco Express is Aurelia Lyles. She's all about keeping it real. Great guests, interesting topics, so get on board. Listen, learn, live. Welcome to the Coco Express Network. Up next, Relationship Remedies. It's about me. It's about you. It's about us. It's about Relationship Remedies with Dr. Linda Owens-Wiley and Hank Smith. Join us. Peace and blessings. I'm Dr. Linda Wiley, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Relationship Remedies. This is the place to discuss hot topics related to the health of your relationship. So bring us your questions, concerns, and comments. Most of all, bring us an open mind. Tonight we're going to switch gears just a little bit. Most of the time, you know, if you've been listening, Hank and I get on the phone and we talk back and forth about... um, romantic relationships and different issues that come up in family situations or between a man and a woman, those kinds of things. And while that's all important, he and I have been talking lately and we thought in light of so much that's going on in the country today, we thought we wanted to to shift gears and just talk a little bit about a different type of relationship. So not to say that these things uh, we're going to talk about tonight don't apply between men and women, but we wanted to make sure that we pay attention to what's going on in the world around us. So, as always, I'm joined tonight by a man who is an author, a poet, my friend, and my co-host, a man who brings a little extra flavor to the conversation. He goes by the name of Mr. Hank Stewart. What's up, Hank? Girl, I'm doing well. I'm so glad to be on here with you today. I, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. really excited about this uh, discussion that we're going to have and this I am twist of love. I really am. I am too, and I think that you're going to bring a lot to the conversation because I know things like this matter to you a great deal, and you pay close attention when things are going on that impact the African-American community. In fact, I think the way I'm going to do this tonight is almost like an interview. I think I'm going to pick your brain so that you can share a lot of what you know about the situation with our listeners because I think it's important that we talk about not only what's happening in the country, but what impact is it having, how can we prevent it from having happening again in the future, and how do we heal, you know, in the aftermath. So, you know, I've been talking around the issue, but I'm sure everybody knows we're talking about things like the, the violence, you know, the, the violence that is taking place from those who are sworn to serve and protect 
against our young black men. And as the mother of two young black men, it concerns me greatly that our, our new mantra all over the country, in fact, all over the world, is hands up, don't shoot. I mean, it's like there's just a license to kill at will. And so I want to make sure that we, we talk somewhat about that and then get to a place of talking about um, what are some things, as I said, that we can do as a community to put a stop to the madness, and then what do we do most importantly to heal? So what, what are some of your views? What are some of the things that have been floating through your head since all of these situations have started taking place? Well, let me, let me first, uh, you know, you and I, we have, this, uh, we have this incredible relationship, and part of our relationship is the humor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're gonna you're not gonna hear a whole lot of that from me tonight. Not tonight. Think, not tonight. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think that this is a uh, the time, and um, and I think we've been laughing too long, you know. Um, I think we've been quiet and silent too long, and and this is a very serious matter. We're losing young black men um, all over this country, and and that, let's 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 clear this up. Not just at the hands of people who are, are sworn to protect us, but even with from our own communities. You know, we, we want to let's be completely fair. You know, black on black crime is high. Well, and, and let, me, let me say this too: white on white crime is high, and and mm-hmm. Hispanic on Hispanic crime is, is high as well. So we don't want to make it seem like the epidemic is only in our community. Most people right. get in get in trouble, or fight, or kill folk that they they know. You know, it ain't it ain't a whole lot of cross uh, people crossing the. Um, the race line to kill folk. You know, it's usually if if it's if it's a white man killing another white man, it's probably at, at a bar, a local bar. If it's a black man, he right. has a local club. You know, so let's be completely clear about that. But it seems as if uh, when it comes to losing out, particularly our, our young men, and, and, and this is just my opinion. This is not the – let me put this disclaimer out. This is not Dr. Linda Wiley. This is Hank Stewart speaking. So I want to, you know, relinquish you from this, from how I feel. But it well, I mean, it'll prob- I appreciate that, but it will probably be closely related anyway. And, and okay. before you go there, I do want to mention um, – you know, just as you were talking about the white on white and Hispanic on Hispanic and, and those kinds of things, it's not like we're saying that crime in other communities is not important. Loss of life is tragic no matter where it happens. But tonight's focus is going to be on black folk. Tonight's mm-hmm. focus is largely on what's going on with young black men losing their lives. And so, again, I just want to make sure that people understand it's not like we are insensitive to other things. We just want to make sure that folks understand we can't talk about everything in an hour, so this is what we're choosing to talk about. And 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 so, you know, for me, I think the thing that really bothers me is the fact that it just seems as if and, and I don't want any any young man or young woman, African American, Caucasian, Hispanic, Asian, you know, Latino, whatever, I don't want any of them to be killed. But it just always seems as if it's at, when it comes to black men, it's shoot and kill and when it's anybody else's shoot and stop, shoot to stop. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And so when when you shoot to stop, and I can I can show you countless videos where black men are shot and killed, and I can show you uh, just as many white videos where white men who have who have proved to be at uh, of a danger, you know, waving guns or whatever, and they have been negotiated with and then shot to stop. And mm. when you shoot to stop someone, it allows you that opportunity to investigate. Because all parties are still alive to, to give their sides of the story, you with mm-hmm. me? And so yep. when you shoot to when you shoot to stop, 
you, you can get you can get and you can come up with a, with a resolution and and some sort of disciplinary if it's from the law enforcement or if it's the person need to go to jail they can go you know we've we've right. seen we've seen and we've seen people who are wrong go to jail in in um in crutches because they right. were stopped <laughs> not they didn't get killed they were stopped and, and, if, the investigation. and if they did if they did something wrong there is that chance for them to turn around change your life be rehabilitated exactly and so right. at least they're given a second chance yeah with us it seems to be stopped. You shoot and you kill, and then we have to try to figure out what happened. Trayvon yeah. Martin, we still don't know what happened. You know, in my yeah. opinion, Trayvon Martin, when 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 George Zimmerman was told to not follow him, Trayvon would have been still alive had he just followed that instructions from the police right. officer. You know, right. um, when you look at Jordan Davis, the loud music had the had the guy yep. just rolled his window up and waited till the police came. Jordan Davis would still be here. You know, um, when you look at uh, Trayvon, I mean, when you look at Mike Brown, there was no gun. Um, show that you know. I mean, it, it, it's so much to that that is un that we just don't know. It's so much to this that story, and not just you know. And it goes all. It's not just then. It goes all the way back to Emmett Till. You know. I mean, it just hmm. it just seems you never seem to hear uh, where white boys are young kids. And you know, the other thing that bothers me, and I and I tell a quick story, Doc. And I'm glad this is a talk show, not with with radio uh, music uh, breaking us up. But I was uh, stopped by the police coming from a meeting that was put together by law enforcement uh, the Friday, uh, the Monday before Ferguson took place, all right? I was stopped. I'm sorry, stopped? The, Thursday, the Thursday. I was stopped. I was wow. stopped by a police officer because, and, and let, me tell you, let me tell you what happened, because my, right, my left tail light um, was out. And he was right. He was right to stop me and say that, right? And, um, and here's what I thought, Doc. When he stopped me, and, and the officer was very professional, he was very professional. He said, mm-hmm. Mr. Stewart, you know, I was just letting you know that, you know, can I have your license, please? And he took my license and made sure everything. He said, I was just letting you know that your left tail light was out. And he was right because I had just gotten my tail light replaced. I thought replaced the bulb was out, but it was actually a short. So it gone out again. So he was right when he said that, and he was very professional. Now, it might have helped that I said I just left your your um, your boss in this meeting. <laughs> and, you know, it might have helped. But, but here's what bothered me, Doc. What bothered me was the fact that it, I couldn't help but think, Thank God it was me that he stopped and not my son Austin. Would that have been a different situation right there? You with me? Cause I, I am. Which was my, had I had as many conversations as I've had with my son about law enforcement and how to handle and da-da-da, but would it, it had escalated Would he had been rude because now he's talking to a child or a younger, child, younger man or, you know, whatever. And, exactly. and so I couldn't help but think that. You know, so my point in saying that, you know, white parents send their children out the house just hoping that they don't drink and drive. We send our kids out the house hoping that they come back in the house. That they come back home. And how many white parents have to inform their children of what do you do? First of all, what do you do when you're stopped by the police? Because it's almost a statistical given that one in so many are going to be stopped, whether they're right, wrong, or indifferent, they're going to be stopped. So what do you do when you're stopped is one point. But in addition to that, um, how do you act? What do you say? Where do you keep your hands? What kind of eye contact? White parents don't have to have that conversation with their children, but we do. So even that in and of itself is an issue. And then, like you said, if it were a young man like Austin or like Matt and Jordan, my sons, if they get stopped and the officer is rude or loud or whatever, it might throw our kids into, okay, wait a minute. And so now I'm trying to think. I may not be as responsive as he wants me to be. I might be a little shaky or looking nervous. He's assuming something else. 
and it just escalates from that point on. So you're exactly. right. We have to hope and pray that they make it back home. We have to make it. I mean, and, it's, and, it's, and the thing that's sad, we're 2014, and it's no different than when parents were sending their kids away to college in the 60s and the hope and telling them what to do. Don't stop at this city. Don't stop in here. You know, drive through here. Make sure you use the restroom before you hit. You know what I mean? That, that's mm-hmm. not a conversation that Caucasian parents have to have with their children. You know, at best, you hope that your at a Caucasian parent just just you know do not drink and drive mad. If you're gonna drive, stay in the hotel in the um in your um dorm room. You know we don't have yeah. that. You know, That's you right. know we 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 have to tell them at your at your very best. And we ain't even talking about kids who are sagging. You know, right. I mean? you could have a suit and tie on and That's get stopped exactly and get right. harassed, and it could be a different type of profile because now you get you're in a suit and tie, and what, who do you think you are? You know, I mean, so, and I hear people say, well, they look, we look like thugs. Well, you know, and I, I had this conversation. I was in a meeting today about Ferguson, and then, lo and behold, this verdict, this uh, non-verdict came down again out of New York today. Mm. I was in a meeting, and then I started hearing, and then, and if we are not careful, we would start discriminating, uh, discriminating against each other. Because I heard yeah, we little like kids start saying, in, um, teenagers in, in college at this meeting that I was in, well, we need to, you know, we're thugs, and we, we look, we dress like thugs, and we look Oh, come on now, hold on. White kids sag. White kids mm-hmm. with their back, their bibs backwards. You know, the difference is they have an opportunity to to still get it right. And when and when they get it wrong, you know, because in a lot of cases, in some cases, their parents know the district attorney, so they, they can make a mistake and expunge their records, and they'll never know. And then they'll do like the little white girl who did to, who uh, attacked President Obama's daughters and work mm-hmm. in the, uh, and forget that she stole from from a uh, department store because you can expunge that. You can forget all about that. You can think exactly. you, 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 you remove from that. Nobody talks about it. Exactly That's right. right. You know, so, I mean, it's so much. And, you, and, and again, you, I'm, I'm not trying to – this ain't a black and white thing. And because we really, Doc, and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask me more questions, but we really have to look in the mirror in a lot of these situations because our you know our churches have an opportunity to work on some parenting skills with our parents you know we 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 are raising some angry black kids you know mm-hmm. and and because mama you they leave out the house with angry parents that's right that's exactly right but see something that you said I want to go back to because you mm-hmm. you mentioned on more than one occasion being in a meeting around some of these things and so it's encouraging to me to know that folks are getting together and meeting. So talk a little bit about that. What what kind of steps are being taken? You know, who's coming together to address some of these issues? Because not I'm not trying to minimize anything, but I think it's all well and good that, you know, people are posting things on Facebook and forwarding different messages and stuff. That is a level of awareness, but we've got to go deeper than that. We've got to go deeper than just the cute little posters and nice little things on Facebook. So to know that people are getting together and having dialogue is a good thing. Help us understand what are, what are some of the things that folks are talking about in your experience? Well, pre-Ferguson, um, pre the uh, the no bill in Ferguson, they were, uh, in, in Georgia, because, you know, in Atlanta, so goes Atlanta goes the country. You know, a, a, yeah. a lot of people look, particularly, I mean, black Atlanta. You right, know, a lot yeah, of people look at Atlanta. Atlanta has always been the pulse of the mm-hmm. black community, you know, I, I would say, and, and, and it still pretty much is. And so uh, pre the um, the uh, Nobel, uh, Dr. Cedric Alexander, who's a really good friend of mine, he's actually the um, president of all of the black elected um, uh, black officers around the country. So he was gonna. He decided to be proactive. He said, "You know what we need to do? Let's get everybody together because we know this. We, they they knew they hadn't, they didn't know. They had pretty good idea that there was gonna be a no bill. Okay, this came mm-hmm. out 
two months ago, Doc. And so what they started to do was start preparing for what if there's a no bill. So what Dr. Cedric Alexander did was he started to pull clergy, superintendents, and law enforcement all around Metro Atlanta, and we started talking about this three weeks before the no bill. Mm. And the purpose was how do we, what do we do? Because we can't, we you can't stop people from protesting because that's a that's that's a, a right. That's a uh, right. You know, that's an amendment. That's that's their constitutional that's right. Constitutional right. Yeah. Right. So you got to. But how do we keep it from turning into what Ferguson turned into, from the burning of the buildings and things of that nature? And and how do we 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 keep the peace between officers and and the protesters? And so that was one meeting. We met three weeks every week prior to the no bill. Um. And so, and then um, you know, there was uh, I was just in a I was just at another event on Monday where uh, the the Attorney General Eric Holder um, mm-hmm. was the speaker over at Ebenezer, and that's the beauty of the land. That's why I think it would be very difficult for me to leave this city. I think I'm, I know I'll probably end up dying here because it, it seems like it's always on the cough. And Eric Holder came to Atlanta for his very first kickoff to uh, bridge in the gap between law enforcement and the community. And so this Monday, that meeting and that discussion was about how do we, we bridge this gap? How do we connect these dots? And um, and it was awesome to see the young people who stood there and protested. If, if our listeners get an opportunity, um, Google is bigger than us. That's a new organization that's coming out with our young people, and they're 5,000 strong across the country in 27 cities right now. And these wow, young and people it's called, are doing it. It's bigger it. than us. It's bigger than us, and they're doing okay. it. I mean, these young people are doing it. They're doing it. They're, they're together, and they're, they're organized, and it's not just black. They're black, white, Hispanic. And this is not just, I mean, we, we see it. I'm not sure how much you saw in the media, but uh, there's protests in Brazil and in China and all across the right. all around the world about right. these issues. So this thing is, you know, and it's, and you know, at, at the end of the day, Dr. C.T. Vivian, one of my mentors, always said, but you know, at the end of the day, what fixes all of this? And this is going to tie back to our show, love. Yeah. Yeah, it love really is. Love fixes all of this. <laughs> it really does. And and we are. We're going to move to that at some point. And, you know, it's funny because you talk about C.T. and I'm close to his son, Al, and Al does a lot of work that he he's taking the work of his father and taking it on and into a, a whole other level. He's taking over the company and those kinds of things. And so we get to talk about this because, you know, one of the things that I do, I mean, everything I do is about relationship, but I, I'm segmented. Some of the things that I do are about the, the romantic relationship, family relationship kind of thing. Other things are workplace relationships. And when I'm talking about workplace relationships, I'm usually talking about diversity and inclusion. So Al has a diversity consulting firm, I've brought him into my organization, and he's done quite a bit of work in there for us. And so, yeah, we do talk about this, and and he says the same thing. It's love and it's reconciliation. That's how you close the door and move on. But I don't want to get too far ahead because we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. But I think right now what I'd like to do, you know, David M. has a song called Lest We Forget, and it kind of bridges – Martin's speech with an Obama speech and just talks about it. And I think sometimes people get caught up in why do we keep talking about the same things over and over again, particularly in other communities they don't understand. One of the reasons why this has gone to global uh, perspective is because most other countries don't understand the race issues that we have here. They really, in a good way, are confused. they like, you guys are all Americans. What's the issue? But, of course, if you weren't here to, to go through the slavery and all the other things, you've got a totally different mindset about about race. But we talk about these things not because we want to perpetuate. We talk about it because white folks won't let us forget. When you keep treating us the way you've always treated us, 
just calling it something new and, and, you know, dressing it up a little bit differently, there's no way that we can forget. And as long as we keep it top of mind, we can try to keep moving forward. So let's just listen to Lest We Forget, and then we'll come back and pick up on this conversation. That all men can live with dignity. I have a dream this afternoon. When all the thoughts children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing with the Negro in the spiritual world, free at last, free at last,
I love that. I love that. So you're listening to Relationship Remedies. I'm Dr. Linda Wiley, and I'm talking to my co-host, Hank Stewart. Uh, The topic of our show tonight is loving others intentionally. And, of course, it's brought on by uh, many of the recent tragedies that are taking place in this country with respect to black men dying senselessly, you know, uh, uh, being gunned down in many instances with no weapons whatsoever. So, we wanted to take some time to, to talk about the issue. And where I think I'd like for us to go next, Hank, is just talking about um, racism and racial prejudice in this country and um, things that perhaps we can do to identify it and reduce it. Uh, before the, the music break, you brought up Dr. C.T. Vivian, and I mentioned his son, Al Vivian, and the great work that they've done in that arena. I'm just a small player in that field, Um but every day, that basically is the job that I've undertaken. And so I decided a couple of years ago to take a break from my own training and consulting firm, go back into the corporate arena, and work within the corporate structure on diversity and inclusion. And it really is a challenge because there's so much white privilege, and whites are so blind to it in many instances that they don't even realize it exists. So you go into a situation where um, people have privilege, they don't realize they have privilege, they don't want to talk about the privilege, but yet you're supposed to get them to see the privilege so they can do something different. And in many cases they see it, but they don't want to acknowledge it because then that means that they'll have to do something differently. So um, one of the things that I think we do have to come to grips with is understanding that as much as people want to say things are better and this is a post-racial society and yada, 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 most of that stuff is not, this is not a post-racial society. There's still racism that exists everywhere on a daily basis. And we need to know how to identify it and what we can do to reduce it. So um, any thoughts or, or comments along those lines? Well, I think there's there's a, there's a lot. I think a show like this, I think, and you know, we're going to, have to have some real dialogue. I, I think one of the things that we're not doing, Doctor Doctor Linda Wiley, is we're not having honest conversations. That's right. You know, I, I I just think I think our conversations are too. Um, I mean, everybody want to find the unique way to say it, and I think we're trying to be grammatically correct. And I'm I'm talking about we gotta, you know, we gotta, you know, uh, it's kind of like a woman when she comes home from work when she just strips down to the ball. But bear mm-hmm. to the to just the raw, and I'm and I'm not trying to be sexual. I'm, I'm I'm just being completely transparent. I mean, take the makeup off, take all other stuff off, and this is what mm-hmm. you're dealing with. You know, we've got to get to that point where we deal. We talk about what is really the issue, and there's there's some issues on the other side of the, the tracks with with our Caucasian partners, but there's a lot of in home internal things that we got to work on as well too. And I think you, if you don't have these real conversations, like I mean, like our churches, you know, we need to, there needs to be some real discussion about voting, because if you look at this whole Mike Brown deal, a lot of this could have been dealt with just through the political process. Yeah, you know? I mean that you know, but then there's also a parenting issue. 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what, if, you know, Mike Brown, why, why were you, you know, if, if he was as hostile as they said, we don't know. Again, here we go again. We, he, the officer said he came back, and, but we don't know because Mike Brown is not here to defend himself. You know what I mean? Right. So we don't know. We don't know if he came back and he said he looked like a monster. We don't know that. We don't know. Right. There's nothing to prove his his comments. Everything he says is you know is, is strictly from the officer's pers- you know perspective. There's no body camera to tell that story. You know. Yeah, and I'm hoping that that becomes a reality soon too. Yeah. But you know, you bring up the parents, and that's a good point. So when we're looking at that level of relationship, parent to child, and what do we have to do with that respect? So. On one hand, we we talked earlier about how we have to give our children lessons on just how to survive, particularly pulled over by the police or things along along those lines, how to survive in society. So that that's one level of conversation that I don't think is happening enough um, anymore because people have fallen into this mindset that it's no longer necessary. And hopefully, this well, is a wake up call. But the other one is too. You know, we 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 back in the day, and and I, and you and I are around the same age. I think I might have you by a couple of years. But we, you know, but back in the day, you know, when we were growing up, our parents, it was not cute when your child was talking back to you. That was an embarrassment. That's right. That's you know right. I mean? And so where, I don't know what what where the you know all of a sudden it became it became cute and sexy to hear people back, you know talk back. Matter of fact, Eddie Murphy had a in Delirious. He's you know one of his his standups. He said you know when I used to go to my white counterparts and hear his, the parents cuss the, the the children cussing the parents. He was like wow where is this? He says because if he yeah. ever did that at home he would be dead. You know. Yeah. And so now, I remember that and that is so right. true. And we've gotten away from that. And and we kids are allowed to talk the way they want, dress the way they want, do the way. When did children get an opinion? I mean, you know, it's like we didn't have an opinion when we were growing up. You did what you were told to do. And so my point is, it's following and it's following our kids to the street. So if you if you're disrespecting your parents, you definitely have no respect for any other authority. That's so you're right. disrespecting the the, um, the police officer. You're disrespecting teachers. You're disrespecting you know everything. You're dis, it's a level of disrespect now. It really you know, is, so. and you know, it's funny. I was I was uh, watching one of the the judge shows one day, um, and there was a case on there where. A mother and her daughter, six-year-old daughter, the mother was suing the nanny. There's an older woman who was a live-in nanny because the little girl got bubble gum in her hair and the nanny cut her hair and this kind of thing. But but what transpired was the little girl said, and she repeated it for the judge, she said that when the nanny told her not to chew the gum, she didn't listen. And what she told her was, you're not the boss of me. You're not my mother. I don't have to listen to you. And the mom is not I mean she's allowing this to go on. So right there you're you're allowing disrespect, you're teaching it and what really is ridiculous in that situation is here you are paying a woman to be responsible for the welfare of your child, but at six she believes that she doesn't have to do what this woman who was put there to to watch her is telling her to do and that's the way that we're going. We are letting kids make decisions, do what they want to do, speak back to to adults, authority figures, as you mentioned, doesn't matter whether it's school or someplace else, and then the parents are coming behind the children and, and defending the children as if what they're doing is right. So not only do we have to warn our children, we have to raise our children to be respectful children because they're, they're presenting themselves in such a way, and I'm not blaming the victim. I'm not saying that anybody whose child was lost uh, in these recent situations, I'm not putting any blame on on those children whatsoever. However, I am saying that in general, as a society, as a people, we need to do a better job of making sure that our children 
are carrying themselves in such a way that they're not opening the door for some of these things to come in and invite them. There is a way that you can carry yourself. When my, when my mom would take us to, to the store, Dr. Linda Wiley, we would all have that. You, you remember the, the the talk before you go into the store? Uh-huh. You remember the, you remember the talk? When we go in the store, it was a, it was a, it's usually a couple things. Don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. That's right. You know, don't ask for anything. Don't touch anything. When you go in here, and you bet, and you, if you act up on me, I'm gonna act up on you. That's right. Okay, but he, he, let, let's dig deeper to that. Let's dig deeper and why and why our parents said that, because when I went, what, what, what my mom meant by that, and I just and I found this out about, you know, about 20 years ago, it really came to my mind what she was saying. What she was saying was, if you go in here and act up. People are not going to look at you. They're going to look at me. Mm-hmm. And what they're going to say is Miss Stewart does not have control of her children. That's right. And I would not have anybody thinking I do not have control of my children. I, my children does not have manners. So it's mm-hmm. not an embarrassment on you. It's an embarrassment on me. Because they That's expect right. you to be a child. You are a child, and a child do what a child do. But that's they right. get better because of training. And so when we look back at all the situations that's going on, and I'm not saying, and, you're, and I'm, I appreciate you saying that it's not about um, my mom loved us enough to discipline us. If you go back, and I mean, I'm going to tie that to biblical. The Bible tells you, you know, spoil a child, you know, spare the rod, spoil a child. Spare and that rod, means you do not child. love. And you, that means you do not love your, because discipline is love. Go back and read that's your exactly Bible right. when it says that. It, discipline is love. And so when you got parents who do not discipline their children, back to the theme of our show, do you really love your child? Because my mom always say, raise, and I and I heard this, and I and I and I and I thought about this when I was rearing my son Austin. Raise your child that if something happens to you, somebody will take your child. Mm. Let me say it again. Raise your child that if something that something happens to you and his mother, some Mm -hmm. people are in line to get that child. And mm-hmm. a lot of us are rearing children that if something happens to the custodian or the the parents, those children are going into foster care because other people they don't are. want Nobody them. wants them. Nobody wants to deal with the you problem with the headache. You have done your child a disservice. That's you have right. done your child a disservice. That's as a exactly parent. right. As a parent. And so when I look at this, when you're saying what can we do on the front end, front end is we can start making sure that we discipline our children starting as a child. You ain't got to beat the, you know, beat your child with no branch, but pop them when they just, just tap them on the butt. You know, some, when they when they when they hit when they hit you back because that's not what they're supposed right. to do. Well, see, and that's that's a whole another thing that I don't understand is how parents are afraid of their children because again, if you raise them right from the time that they're small, they would not even think about raising their hand to you as they get older. But you do. You have to be the parent. See, nowadays people want to be friends be with friends. their children. Mm-hmm. You're not mm-hmm. their friend. You mm-hmm. can have a friendly interaction and a friendly exchange from time to time, but they need to understand the pecking order and they need to understand that I am your parent. I mean, now I mean I have to look up to speak to my boys, but do you really think that they would even think about disrespecting me in some mm-hmm. kind of way? It's mm-hmm. ridiculous because from the time that they got here, they understood. And when they were like preteens, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a tiny little thing at five two. So even when they're like 12, 13, 14, they were bigger than me. But when I would discipline them then, I'd make them sit down because I'm not going to look up and yell at you. I'm going to still have the advantage over you and look down and yell at you. And so there's things you have to do as a parent to make sure that your children understand who's in control and understand the respect thing. And I think nowadays that's just gotten way out of hand, and we're watching it get younger and younger and younger. Like I said, on this, this show, the little girl was six years old. 
six years old. Come on mm-hmm. now. They're, they have just lost her. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think one of the relationships that, that needs a remedy is the whole parent-child thing. But then I'll also go, so, so there are a bunch of relationships that come into play here. And I do think um, you talked about some of the things with the black-on-black crime and white-on-white and how usually it's somebody that you know. So it's not always a family member, though often it is, but let's look at some of the relationships that are happening, like, in the workplace and some of the things that are still taking place there. You know, there's still a lot of racism that takes place on the job. Some of it is subtle. People don't come out and talk about things the way they used to, but it happens there. And so even there, we're not having those good, honest communications. Um, Nobody's talking about it. It's like people want to talk around the elephant that's in the middle of the room Mm -hmm. because people are afraid of what to say, and that stuff builds up. People keep getting mistreated, and then they come back, they shoot up the place, and then we want to do something about it. We need to start having more open dialogues and create workplace environments where it's okay to have conflict. You know, as long as you do it in a a respectful way, it's okay to have conflict. People are not always going to agree. But if you can't talk about your differences respectfully, then they're just going to escalate and eventually somebody's going to explode. And then, of course, you've got the whole thing with community-level relationships. So there's a a group in um, Chattanooga got a Facebook page called Chattanoogans Connected. And I became a part of this group kind of inadvertently. The group just kind of mushroomed and, and grew and to the point where there have been write-ups in the paper, um, there's a Facebook page, there's been stuff on the news. Uh, I was asked to write a 650-word perspective piece that went into the paper. But the way this thing started, there's uh, – a man by the name of Franklin McCauley. And the McCauley family, it's old family, old money in Chattanooga. I mean, there's a Macaulay Avenue, a Macaulay High School. Or, you know, the, the women started something called Girls Preparatory School. They've got a Chambliss Children's Home. So Chattanooga is Macaulay territory. And so Franklin McCauley, in his 70s now, talks about the fact that when he was growing up, he grew up racist. His family was racist. He was raised racist. And he says that they used God and the Bible in his mind to justify the racism. And at the age of 20, he was in college, had an experience that changed his life. And from the age of 20 on, so for over 50 years now, he has been a strong advocate, even to the point of earlier in his life, family, his father um, kind of turning his back on him. Eventually his father came around before he, he died and gave up his racist attitudes and things. But Franklin tells these stories. And so Franklin and his wife, Teresa, along with his cousin, Eleanor Cooper, and her husband, Mel, they started doing these interracial dessert conversations. And that is what is what has grown and mushroomed and been written up in the paper and stuff. And so I mention it because it's just something very simple. He does it in his home because he thinks that it's warmer and more inviting than going out to, to a hall or something. And at times there'll be like 50 or 60 people in their home, black and white, and you just invite people and there's just simple conversation. So at first on the surface it may look like, okay, with the magnitude of the problems that we have, who wants to just get together, have dessert, and have some simple conversation? But it has really made a difference and is making a difference. And other cities are doing similar things, and um, there's been some – Uh, law enforcement who have shown up and participated. And so when you start thinking about what what do we do, a lot of what causes this is fear, and the fear comes from ignorance. And so the way to get rid of the ignorance is you need to get to know people. So, you know, some of the things that 
that you can do is just that, you know, invite a group of people to come together and just have conversations. Invite them, you know, to somebody that you've never gone to lunch with, never had a coffee with. Start getting to know people. Start making plans about how we can advocate. If we both want the same thing, how do we advocate to get some of this stuff done? You know, identify, like you talked about earlier, are the different kinds of policies that need to be challenged? Do we need to change some of the ways in which we do things? Help people understand the depth of the problem because, again, just as I mentioned the white privilege earlier, people walk around many times, not in all cases, but many times not understand. It's like a fish in water. The fish doesn't know that it's in water. The fish doesn't know that it's wet. It just does what it does, you know, and so when you take it out of the water, that's when it realizes, and that's why many times if you take someone white and put them in an all-black neighborhood, an all-black environment, they get completely nervous because I'm out of my water, you know, whereas you can take a black person basically put us anywhere because it's survival. We have to know how to survive in any circumstance. They don't. So when you start doing things like that, you know, document some of the activities in your community that start to look like they're profiling or there's some prejudice um, as an undertone or things along those lines. There are things that communities can do to start paying attention and then banding together to talk about it. So I understand that not everybody has it in their DNA to want to go out and do a protest. I mean, thank God for people who do. But not everybody is cut from that cloth. But there are other things that people can do, even if that's not their stance, you know. So like I said, some of the things I just mentioned about inviting people over, going out with other folks, getting to know people, just speak to your neighbors. You know how many people are live in neighborhoods and, and you live next door or down the street from somebody and you don't even make eye contact or speak? There are things that we can do to start breaking this down and healing from the years and years and years of this internalized oppression that people are going through. Well, you know, I I believe I I love uh let me let me um be a little transparent. I love landscaping. I love yard working in my yard. Mm-hmm. Love it. It's it's my therapy. I could put my headset on, study my poetry. You know, I can I can solve these world's issues while I'm cutting my grass. It for me yeah. it's, it's it's peace of mind. Um, you know, I can't talk to anybody. It's me out there by myself. It's me the lawnmower, the weed, weed eater, the hedger the blower, whatever. So you, it, ain't a, it ain't a time for conversation when I'm doing my yard. You know, I don't have, you, you can't do it. You can't walk along beside me when I'm cutting my grass because I can't hear you. You with me? So that's, mm-hmm. my, that's my me time. Mm-hmm. And so I love, my, I love cutting my grass, and what I do is I cut my grass every five to seven days. Now, somebody think that's excessive. But the, but the reason why I cut my grass every five to seven days is because it makes it easy. I can cut my grass, edge my yard, blow it, be back at my house within, within 45 minutes if I cut it every five to seven days. Okay. If I let my grass grow for two weeks, Doc, it's going to take me an hour and a half, two hours. If it gets to three weeks, I'm going to be out there for about four hours. Mm. It, everything is overgrown. The, the problems that we have now, we've let too many things grow and it's outgrowing. You know, yeah. one time children were not the problem because our parents had a good handle on us. You know, so mm-hmm. it was really just policy. Now we got policy, we got children, we got music, you know, we got entertain. It's so many different issues that we're combating right now. So many. Because you can do everything right at the house and your children are listening to gangster rap and all this other, and, and developing a thug mentality or what we what mm-hmm. they call a hard mentality or whatever. You know, so it's so many different things that we're, we're we're combating right now that it's not funny, right? And we and we're losing this on our watch. 
You know, that's the part that's that's frightening. We're losing this thing on our watch, Doc, because right. our parents did, they took us as far as they could take us with what they knew. But a lot of yeah. us got to the point where we, you know, we 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 made it, you know, and and um and we start rearing our children without rearing without rearing them with values. We start rearing them with things, you know. We, right. you know, instead of instead of having a conversation at the dinner table, we gave you a play a PlayStation, you know. Right. So or the, forget the, the about place, the dinner table. I don't. That we didn't. You know, a lot of families don't sit down and all. Right. Well, that's table, that's my point. That's time. my point. So yeah. we gave you a PlayStation. So we put we'll slide your meal in front of you while you playing. And and, and mm-hmm. see, here's another thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something else. The reason why you know back in the day when your parents put you on two week punishment, you were on punishment for two weeks, right? Yep. Now parents will put you on a punishment. They don't even think they call it punishment anymore, or even time out. But they put you. The reason why they don't, if they say two weeks, the reason why it don't last two weeks because it puts the parents on punishment too. On punishment, if, exactly. Is if you parents put, don't want to be on lockdown. They don't want to be on lockdown. I got to stay home to make sure, you home to make sure you're not mm-hmm. doing what you said. What you That's said. Right. What I said. You can't do. And so you know what happens after a day? They get tired of babysitting them, or you can't drive your car no more. So I got to drive you to school. Because you know mm-hmm. they should have been catching the school bus anyway, you know, and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. So now, you, and we're rearing our children, so they have no respect, and they know if they they can wait you out. The yeah. kids know they can wait you out because you ain't, you ain't got enough stamina to stick to your discipline. That's right. And even if you had the stamina, in many cases, because we have so many single-headed households, I got to go to work. I can't be there with you. Or, you know, you get home from school before I get back to the house or whatever the case might be. So even if a parent wanted to, in many cases, I can't be around for two weeks and there's nobody else to be around you for two weeks to make sure that you're really doing the things I said do and not doing the things I said don't do so. You know, if I can coin this phrase, this new phrase that I've, I've started, and, and I said, and it's and you're gonna love it because it's a theme. It's our it's our theme again, love. Um, mm-hmm. I always say I love my child more than I dislike my ex. Mm. Okay, watch watch this now. That might sound real simple, but let me watch when I flip it. Because when people dislike their ex more than they love their child, you get a whole level of different. Uh, 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 you get a whole different level. Of, yeah. of of actions, because yeah, cause, because if I if I distress, if I dislike you more than I love my child, then I'm a, I'm gonna make your life miserable even at the expense of our child. Well, what you focus on grows. So if you're focusing on the the dislike that I have for you, that's going to grow, and I'm going to be consumed by it. All my attention is going to that, which leaves none to go to the child. But if I focus on loving the child, the ex becomes a non-entity because the child is getting all my time, my, my dedication, my devotion, all of those things. So whatever you focus on tends to grow. And, you know, I, I'm remiss. I, we've, I've been enjoying the, the conversation and, and sort of the, the quasi-interview that I'm doing with you so much that uh, I forgot to tell folks that if they want to get in on this conversation, there's still some time. We, we have about 15 minutes left. You can give us a call at 347 347- Six three seven two three one nine. We're talking about loving others intentionally, and if you have some commentary on the state of race relations in America today, or something pertaining to some of the incidents that are going on with our young black men being being uh, gunned down, basically in the streets, uh, you want to talk about how to heal, how to get over the racism, how to move things in a different direction. We still have about 15 minutes left, and we're at 319. I think I want to shift gears a little bit and um, talk about uh, changing the world and, and what it takes. We've talked about love and reconciliation. Let's go a little deeper with that. But first, let's listen to uh, Change the World by Club Nouveau.
Hank, we're I love that song. I'm trying to find that song. I'm trying to find that. Where is that? I need to. Uh, somebody need to send that to me. Well, you know, um, our producer found producer. that when she can. Yeah, she she can get she it to you. Maybe she can text mm-hmm. it to me. She's got my. I need that because that needs to be my new theme song on my Facebook page and one? everything. That no, that's mm-hmm. better than good. That's and it starts with me. And it's interesting mm-hmm. when you said that. You know, what do we do and you, where do we go? And I said, and I was just thinking, we got to all look in the mirror. It's got to start with us. We are we the really change do. that we want to see. We're the change we do. That we it, want it's to a see. it's a transformational process. And in fact, um, I have this little piece I want to read. It's from someone named Troy Chapman called Intentional Love, and it was published in January of 2006. So clearly before all of this madness started going on, but I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read a couple of paragraphs. So Troy writes, I've learned and experienced countless things during my time in prison, but whenever anyone asks me what changed you, I always point to one thing, love. By this I don't mean people being nice to me or making me feel good or giving me hugs. I'm not talking about love I received at all. That has certainly been important for sustaining my spirit, but the practice of love has been responsible for whatever transformation has occurred in my life. If we want to tap into love as a means to reach our true spiritual potential and change our world, we have to be ready to embrace it as a spiritual practice, and this demands that we expand our understanding of love and begin to think of it in new ways. We can begin with this distinction between love as something that happens to us and love as something we practice. We're all familiar with the first kind of love and have experienced it in the form of romance, 
or when we first laid eyes on a baby or even a puppy and felt the emotions of and a desire to please and nurture. I think of this as unintentional love because it grabs us and takes possession of us with very little intention or effort on our part. This kind of love is a wonderful experience, and it often has a profound effect on our lives. It is a spiritual experience that can lift us higher and drop us lower than almost any other human experience, and it is certainly transformative to some extent. But there is another form of love that transforms us far more consistently and profoundly, intentional love. Intentional love is something we choose to practice the way someone might choose to practice medicine. It's a philosophy of life that we believe in and commit ourselves to the way someone might believe in and commit themselves to a religious or political ideology. We do it with an expectation that it will cost us something in the way of sacrifice and with a complete willingness to bear that cost. We commit ourselves to the study, defense, and advancement of love. We turn love into love-ism and ourselves into love-is. And when this change occurs in the way we think about love, love itself becomes a radically different thing. This view of love is based on the belief that love is the ultimate good and is therefore always the right response to life, which means that intentional love is universal and unconditional. It draws no distinction between those who treat us well and those who treat us poorly. This love isn't given or withheld according to who others are, but according to who we are, driven from within in the form of action rather than from without as a reaction. Wow. I just thought, yeah, to, to me, and like I said, that's, that's maybe half of what he has written, but that to me is the most impactful half. Just thinking about love is not something that we receive, but something that we practice. It's an action. It's, it's got to be intentional and universal and unconditional, and it really is a statement of, who we are, not who that other person is. And so I think when we start acknowledging love in that way and the transformative power that it has, I mean, the brother said for, from the whole time he was in prison, he thought about this and um, just talked about the single most thing that has transformed him has been the practice of love, not receiving love, but practicing giving love. When we can take this into that type of mindset, we'll be well on our way to changing the world. Wow. I love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. And, that, and it's true. And it's true. Very true. And it's difficult. I mean, when, when you feel like someone has wronged you or we feel like there was something that was unjust uh, perpetrated against us, it is hard to love. But, again, that's biblical. That's mm. what Jesus would do. You know, you've got to turn the other cheek and show love. And, and there are, you know, based on, on some of the things on, on intentional love, there are basically three aspects of it called to do. One is to recognize the intrinsic value of the person in question. Another one is to have a desire for the person to reach their highest potential. And then the third one is to turn that desire into some form of action. So I'm not sure what kind of closing thoughts you might have, but what I'm asking people to do is recognize that there's value in everyone and look for it. Look for the good. Overlook the things that may be displeasing or distasteful and look for the intrinsic value in every human being. I'm asking people to please have a desire for that person, for every person, to reach their highest potential. 
And then last but not least, it's not enough just to desire, but turn that desire into some form of action. Don't wait for someone else to take the first step or someone else to change a policy or someone else to change their behavior. You be the change that you want to see in the world. And I do believe that if we practice love and reconciliation, we can make a difference. So I'm going to ask what your closing thoughts might be on the subject. I have enjoyed uh, spending time just kind of picking your brain a little bit and and interviewing you with respect to uh, some of the situations that are going on and how we overcome those things. So what comments would you leave with our listeners before we go? It's real simple. Um, it's a Stokely Carmichael quote, and it's, it's become my new mantra, and it says, it is the responsibility of the conscious to make the unconscious conscious of the unconscious behavior. I'll say, it, say again. it again. It is the responsibility of the conscious to make the unconscious conscious of the unconscious behavior. Let me break it down. It is the responsibility of those who get it to help those who don't get it get it because those who don't get it don't even realize they don't get it. For mm-hmm. us to get any better in this country, we got to make the unconscious conscious and we got to be the change that we want to see. It's as simple as that. Thank exactly you. I enjoyed right. this conversation. I always love getting together with you, having conversation. It's a beautiful thing. And so as we leave, I just want folks to know that it is my desire to strengthen families, grabbing remedies for your relationship challenges. So thank you for letting Hank and I speak into your life. Good night. That's our show for today. So until next time, keep it real, listen, learn, and live.